if you're wrong, then be wrong and, and change. I mean, speak out because even if you're not right, you want to know that. So don't be afraid to speak or be who you are because that's the, that's the way you can grow the most. You'll know what's okay, what's not okay. I don't care how many people are not speaking about something. If you feel there's something in your heart that's not getting attention, you're called to, to stand up and speak out, then do it. With your whole heart, you're going to look weird. You're going to be strange. But I think we're supposed to be strange people. That's what makes people question and maybe look to something higher than themselves. They look at someone else and they don't understand why they have peace and why they have joy and doesn't seem like it's attached to anything. That's what actually gets people thinking about their own life. one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Welcome back to See One Beautiful Soul. I'm your host, Barbara Heller. It is truly an honor to be here. Today on the podcast, we have Joshua Washington. Joshua is a composer, musician, and executive director of the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel, aka Ipsy. He lives with his loving wife, lawyer, and Ipsy board member, Olga Washington, and their two sons. As a Zionist and a musician, Joshua spreads his message of truth justice, and peace through music, education, and advocacy. If you haven't joined our Patreon, please do go to patreon.com backslash Barb Heller and please make a donation there. Joshua Washington, it is a pleasure. It is an honor. Uh, I really don't know your story, so that's why I'm super excited to get into it. I found you on Instagram and I was totally blown away because... uh, it's so rare to find someone outside, even though we're all so connected. And the whole point of this podcast is we're all one. Um, we are one. And sometimes um, skin color, social economic status, uh, where we grow up, uh, who our parents are, who our grandparents are, separate us. And we get to see different colors mm. and different flavors of who we may be reflecting in this lifetime. And it's just so rare when someone outside of your group, whatever that means, takes Mm. a stand for you. And um, I just love the overlap between, sometimes I say Black, sometimes I say African-American. I feel like I offend everyone, including myself, because I I don't even like to (laughs) say that we're different, but I see such an overlap in the black and Jewish communities. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've made uh, a documentary. It's got like three parts and a music video that kind of highlights our similarities in a way and how much there is love. There is so much love there. And when I saw that you have an Instagram account about black and Jewish unity, I was like, Oh my God, you know, like (laughs) that you're involved in it. Um, It's just so amazing. So I just want to say thank you. And I, my first question is, how the heck did you grow up that you had a sensitivity to, to Jewish people? Yeah. That's my first question. Absolutely. And um, I want to clarify, too, before I answer that. The, um, so I do, there is an Instagram page that we have, but Black and Jewish Unity is our close, friend of our, close friends of ours. Um, I have, my, ours is similar. Ours is Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel. And we actually met um, maybe a year ago. And, and so we've, we do a lot of sharing of each other's. Po- so people think that people often think that we're like the same or that they are, they belong to us or we belong to them, but it's just like a really, really close friendship though. They're, they're great people. Um, and um, we take a lot from each other. So. Okay. But, so you share their posts, but it's not yours. So let's get really clear. Yeah. You, your your Instagram is you, you have a Josh mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also, so why don't you highlight that from the beginning? What, yeah, what, yeah. Which one so, should we pay attention to? Yeah. So the, the one that the, the page that the group one or the, the organization is called the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel or IBSI. Um, and that was founded by my, my father back in 2013. And it was mainly a, at the time it was like a, it provided content to other organizations. So it was like a more of an educational thing where 
because of, because of just my dad's intense kind of like studying over the past few decades, he had like acquired a lot of these gems and these, these historical, like amazing events and, and things like that. And so he would often speak at other, whether it's college campuses or um, other uh, or churches or synagogues or whatever, and talk about these things. And so it started off as just an organization that provided this kind of information to other people. Um, and now it's grown to um, an organization that also uh, we, we directly teach and, and help and counsel uh, young leaders to be able to, young black leaders specifically, black and, and, and African leaders, to be able to articulately like defend Israel and, and actually speak well of Israel to their communities and talk about the relationships between Israel and the black community or Israel and the, and the African community. And it's a, it's an amazing thing. I mean, it really has grown into something I think really beautiful and um, it's, it's great to be a part of it really. Is. Let's go back to your dad. What mm. made him have such a fervent love for Israel and wanting to protect her? <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, it's twofold, I believe. And I think this is pretty indicative of, of, like of, of black Jewish unity in general, like there's a spiritual side and then there is the, there's a practical civil rights side. And so my dad, he's a pastor. He grew up playing in church all his life as a musician, taught me how to play music. He grew up learning these songs that alluded to Zion, these songs that alluded to freedom and other worship songs that also some of them were, were tied to Jerusalem and, and loving music and, and being fascinated by, um, by like, Israel in the Bible. And he was really fascinated with Africa. He said he remembered one time, I think he was maybe eight or nine. Uh, there was a story about the Ethiopian, one of the Aliyah trips. There was footage of Ethiopian Jews landing in Israel and, and like kissing the ground and crying. He had no idea what was happening, but he was just so captivated. He sat there and, and stood there and watched it until the program was over. This is, this is something, right? Like there's like this spiritual thing. As he got older you know, and he had us, you know, I'm, I'm two of, of six kids. Me and my older sister were kids. He really wanted for us to observe Shabbat in our home. He really wanted us to do uh, Passover seders in our house. He would demonstrate these things that were in scripture for us to, to see how, what, what the Hebrew calendar was like. We just grew up kind of knowing some of these things and um, not really finding anything strange about it. I think until, until we got a little bit older and, and, you know, hung out around more of our Christian friends who were like, why are you doing this? He's always been fascinated with this. He had always been very in touch with his roots, with his roots as a Black American. And knowing that this historical relationship exists between Blacks and Jews was always something that was important to him. And it was around 2012, 2013, this attack on Israel and the Jewish people from the Black community, from people who claim to be for justice. And they were taking a certain civil rights leader's words and twisting them, and they were perverting Dr. King's legacy. And he was furious. Civil rights leaders were turning in their graves. In his research, he found some old newspaper copies in a library about this organization called Black Americans Supporting Israel Committee, which was founded by Bayard Rustin. If there was any question that Dr. King whether or not he was a Zionist. You can look at his words. You can also look at the people who were closest to him because a few years after he was assassinated, his right-hand man started this organization. His wife was a part of it. His father was a part of it. Rosa Parks was a part of it. Lionel Hampton, Count Basie, Hank Aaron. Like, it was over over 200 signatures on it when it first began. And these were Black Americans who stood with Israel, who called out Yasser Arafat and the PLO, who warned the international community about excusing terrorism. They said that if we give a pass to this, we will see it basically exported all around the world, which if we look at, at countries now, they weren't wrong because all this stuff, we're seeing car rammings and bomb, all this stuff started against the Israelis. Like it all started in, in the Palestinian territories, you know, or in Israel. And so these people were, were very serious about it because they saw this relationship as something that actually benefits us as much as it does benefit Israel, you know, and the Jewish people. That's when he founded Ipsy in, in that vein to continue on what Basic did. You talked a lot about your dad, but where did you fit in? How did you come yeah. in? While he was going through all of that, I was just in a place of learning and observing. So I was a senior in college. I went to the University of the Pacific um, Conservatory of Music. So I went there for a composition. This music was it. I wanted to compose. I wanted to write film score, start bands. And I did all those things really fun. For me, it wasn't until my my freshman year of college that I was even really aware of modern day Israel. I became aware of it in kind of a negative way because some people in my conservatory 
were doing a fundraiser for Gaza, they said that there was a poster about like the victims of Israeli aggression, something like that. We're doing a fundraiser, fundraising event. You know, we were taught not to just take things at face value. So I looked at the poster and I was like, okay, this is very interesting. And that was my first time really thinking about Israel today. I was like, well, I guess Israel is a place like that's, you know, just my brain never really connected them until then. It just not, it didn't really sit right with me, but I, I just kind of put it to the side. It's similar to my dad, but I experienced in college was that people were using like the language of justice to come against Israel. At the time that my dad was was finding these things out, I was also finding out some other things too. And we were talking to each other and he, he happened to get connected with um, an organization called Christians United for Israel. And through that, I got to meet, you know, some amazing people, Israelis and officials and, and made friends with people on the ground in Israel. I have some really good friends there even today. And fortunate enough to not only have resources like books and things like that, but I could actually talk to people there get like a, a human perspective on it and not just turn on TV and look at what the media says. So I remember the first time I decided to post something about Israel that was positive, 2012. It was about three years before I ever did anything publicly because I just felt like there's so much I didn't know. First time I made a post, I got pushed back immediately. And it was from one of my friends. I can't say we're friends anymore, unfortunately, because the more I posted, the more we, the less we became friends. But it was actually one of my Jewish friends. That was my first time even being aware that there were anti-Israel Jews. I mean, they're, they're, they're a minority and they still are, which is a good thing. But still, I was like, of all people, like, you know, like I, I saw that he commented and I, I assumed that, you know, he was just going to say, oh, thanks for posting. He believed that Dr. King was an anti-Zionist and he came against all those posts. And that kind of threw me for a loop. For me, the reason why I do what I do now is two things. One, similar to my dad, I didn't like seeing my heroes in, in our history perverted. So I didn't like seeing people who pretended like they cared um, to just come, just have an excuse to come against Jews. Like, and then standing on the backs of my my own legacy, like my, of me even, like as a black person. The more I learned, the more I realized that there's, the lies go so deep and there's, there was so, it gripped so many people in different ways that I really felt the more I read that I, I almost had a responsibility to, to say something, like I couldn't not say anything. I felt like I was responsible for these lies proliferating if I knew that these were lies and I didn't say anything. It started off with just posting a lot and then it turned into my dad asking me to help with these events for Ipsy. And then it turned out to him asking me to be the assistant director. And then I started writing more articles and then I was being asked to speak more. And now I'm the executive director. And it just, it just, things just kind of led to that. Music's kind of taken a little bit more of a backseat. And this has kind of just been my full-time thing. I really do strongly feel like this is just as much life or death for the black community as it is for the Jewish community. I, I, I would say even more so because Israel will be fine. People will hate Israel and hate the Jews. Israel has found a way to survive, but the lies and the hatred really affect the people who, who push it out. Like it really is a cancer to us. But I have a stake in this fight as well when it comes to that. I want to see my community do better and, and to actually revive that relationship. That's why I do what I do. Wow. Um, I have chills. I wanted to cry a few times, but then you'd <laughs> say something that made me so happy that I just went to the next moment. I'm so in awe of what you just said. Talking about lies, when mm -hmm. you said the word lies just now, I was thinking of mm -hmm. the blood libel that happened in European countries mm -hmm. several times. Yeah. But most recently, people in the 1900s actually thought Jews drank the blood of Christians <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because right. of Passover. Right. It's so bizarre because mm -hmm. we literally can't drink blood in any right. possible way. Like, even if you just look at the basic kosher root, right. like we're right. not supposed to eat omnivores. We right. basically are vegan unless it's kosher killed animal and there's right. no blood inside. No of blood it. at all. That's one of those lies that comes up. And that's not even about anti-Israel. Do you see the correlation between anti-Jewish or anti-godliness mm -hmm. or anti-Judeo-Christianness? Mm-hmm and anti-Israel. Yes, absolutely. What actually keeps me from going insane is that it's a very spiritual thing. Jew hatred is a, it's an evil spirit. Thousands of years of this irrational hatred. I mean, all the way from Pharaoh, like, oh, there's too many of them. We should start killing the babies. Like how, who does, who thinks that? And, and on and on and on and on. I mean, during the bubonic plague, people thought that Jews were, were infecting people with the bubonic plague because they weren't getting it. 
But it turns out, well, no, they just are clean. They wash their hands. Like, yes, Jews make up a small percentage of the population. Less than 1% of the- Less than 1%. And as a people, they dominate a lot of different industries. People tend to point to that as a bad thing. That actually should be something that we should aspire to. We want to do that, right? We always talk about how as Black people, we want to be in every space. It's like, okay, maybe we should see how they're doing it and and emulate. Like, I don't understand why it's a bad thing that it's it's a testament to, I think, God's hand on the Jewish people. And and I think because of that, a lot of people hate. Exactly. That's how it's connected is any kind of anti-God or anti, like you said, Judeo-Christian sentiment, it's going to come to the Jewish people. And it doesn't matter if they're religious or Zionist even or not. I mean, that's the thing I think we've seen I saw the most during this last war between Israel and God and, and Hamas, Jews in general were just being attacked. And attacking, self-hating Jews. And exactly. Yeah, Jews were being attacked. We had anti-Israel Jews who were coming against Jews who were coming against. We went to counter-protest. My wife organized this counter-protest. So we went and protested against this anti-Zionist protest that was happening here in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the person who was saying the most uh, egregious things against me were the was one of the few Jews that were on that side. He called me self-hating and a sellout. I thought what was so ironic, a few minutes later, one of the guys on that side, he was an Arab man, told one of the Jewish guys on, on our side that the Nazis should have finished the job on you guys. So I was like, okay, how much more self-hating? I know where my place is and I, my space is not to post and write or talk about Jews who don't support Israel, like, cause that's, I'm, my, our thing's the black community. You know, we really want to focus on that. That image I got on the side of people who support the Nazis. That's not even about right. Israel anymore. You know, that's and not even, isn't. when the, the Jew haters come out with their mask completely off, they're still going to come after the anti-Zionist Jews. Like it's, it's they're not safe. That's something right. that history has even taught us. That it doesn't matter. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter where your views lie as a Jew. You might be safe for a little bit, but Jew haters will come after Jews, period. Germans came after Jews that only had a Jewish grandfather. They're not even halakhically Jewish. Right. And that's what kills me about people who don't support Israel that even have Jewish blood or or are of a minority. It doesn't matter, Black, Asian, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's just profound to me. You're able to see in your dad, we're able to see that if if they're coming for the Jews, they're going to come for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, I didn't grow up religious and... I grew up in South Florida, um, super mm. secular. If you had a high around your neck, you know, that mm, made you a yeah. Jew. I actually didn't like being Jewish because I knew nothing holy about it. You go to synagogue twice a year and Hanukkah, right. but it was right. boring. And, you know, I just didn't really enjoy it. And I loved Native American traditions, mm. anything with the earth. And and then when I yeah. went to college, I got to go to black church. Mm. My favorite class was the sociology of religion. My professor, Dr. David Hackett was a, a recovering Catholic, but he was mm. still committed to Catholicism. And I, I loved him. And he, mm. he made us go to five different churches of different origin than, than us. I mm. went to to the rock. That was the name of it. It was a yeah, black yeah, church. Yeah. And I loved mm-hmm. it. I, I can still feel that feeling of people getting up out of the chair. And, well, yeah. I'm at. I was like, I feel so at home here. I had a couple of experiences. I want to talk about my unity. Yeah. With black culture. So I think I've talked about this before on the podcast. So I'm sorry if you've heard this story already, but um, two Haitian men saved my life when I was eight. Mm-hmm. I fell off my bike. I had a head injury. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was a very segregated town. Um, mm-hmm. And there weren't that many Jewish people in my mm-hmm. age group. There, It was mostly elderly Jews and we were not invited. We were not invited to the country clubs. And this mm-hmm. is the 80s. These two black men came out of the car with the engine running still. This mm-hmm. is how kind they were and then these guys came out of the car and they literally carried me home with a head injury wow. you know and then yeah. we watched the color purple about a yeah. hundred times because yeah. my parents were always like kind of working in the afternoon mm. and so mm. my sister and i would sit in front of the tv hbo was playing the color purple mm. and that movie drastically affected me yeah. there was a rape scene there yeah. there was domestic violence but there was church yeah. and it, it just, it was a holy movie that had a huge impact on me. And then I always would fight for black causes throughout high school. Kind of like you, there was always, there was a feeling like this is the underdog. And if mm. they're coming for them, they're coming for me. Right, I right. always felt that way. And then I come to find out in, in yeshiva that anti-Semite literally means anti-black. So then I'm thinking mm. Moses was probably darker than you, Joshua. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking we really are connected. And then I go to a yeshiva where there's mo- there's a huge cross-section of Ethiopian Jews and they look like me, yeah. but they're darker. Right, right. And I'm, 
I, you know, looking around in Israel and being in Israel for the first time mm. and living there, not just on a birthright trip, but living right. there, you start to realize, oh, Jew doesn't just mean a white little old lady from New York with gefilte fish. It's like, right, right. it's everyone. Right. We yeah, all yeah, yeah. started out that way. When I was sitting in yeshiva, I'll never forget this. Why mm. do they want to kill us so much? Mm. And I think it's similar to the black plight, which is there's a deep jealousy when someone sees an underdog rise up anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you add, we chose Chosen people does not yeah. mean that God was like, you're cool. You come right. from Abraham. I'm going to choose you. Abraham was one in a million, literally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Abraham mm-hmm. and Sarah and how we all started the Hebrews. And then we became, you know, right. sons of Jacob and all the, mm-hmm. those forefathers and mothers that were so beautiful and amazing right. and wonderful and lived great, holy lives and mm-hmm. still made mistakes, but were pretty awesome. Right. All, all of us come from them. All of us, Jews, mm. Christians, Muslims, we all come from that, that lineage. However, mm. when we were at Mount Sinai, we all stood there of yeah. all colors yeah. from this one line of people. We said, we believe yeah. in you and whatever you give us, we mm. will follow. Mm. Mm. 613 commandments, no problem. You right. gave it to us, we must, because right. you gave us our lives and you brought us to this place. Right. Right. That is the moment. Mm. The rest of the world went, we mm. kill them because mm. what happened? God tried to give all the other nations mm-hmm. the Torah and they were like, you Mm-mm. can't cheat on your wife. You can't, right. you can't right. talk gossip about somebody. Right. You can't no, forget it. I'm done. We, right. Right. And listen to the conversations we're having today. Mm. 5782 or 2021. People are still mm. talking about the same darn things that they yep. don't want. Why are so many people mm. wanting to kill babies? God, why are you having so much sex? And then it hits me. We're not having intimacy nope. anymore at all. Yeah. Unless yeah. people are physically together. Yeah. So no wonder this That's week. The only, yeah. <laughs> out of yeah. the blue. Yeah. We have a black temptress beautiful caribbean island girl telling us about what we should do with the vaccine right right has never worn a full outfit in probably the last 20 years right 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 doesn't wear clothes right she's the voice of reason right i'm just letting you know like i don't i don't i'm not anti-vaccine i'm just anti-mandate and freedom no totally totally but it's all connected yeah yeah people look at you and me or mm-hmm. anyone that believes in God and the mm-hmm. idea that there might be laws coming from a God, like Jews, we're going to have to take action mm-hmm. and like live a certain way. And I'm, right. and I don't right. like this and I don't like this. I, I think you really hit the nail on the head and I'm really glad that you said it and not me because I, I hear a lot from people who, like you said, are so obsessed with abortion. Oh, but in Halakha says that it's okay. And I said, yeah, but okay, I'm not Jewish, but I just, in my research, I found that it's like you said, it's in very little circumstances it's like for me halakha by the way means jewish law for anyone who's listening and you're like oh, yes. you just say halakha so oh, halakha yeah. is pro-choice the jewish yeah. law is in very certain circumstances very, very. first of all i engage in less debate than i used to but then also sometimes when i'm in debates i think to myself why are we even talking about this on this level I, I still see this being pro-life because they still want to protect life. It's just that there is there's some in very small cases, there are times when like a life isn't safe. It just it happens. The conversation, it really should kind of like end there, like, okay, cool. But then it becomes this big thing where why is this such a focus of topic? Like why why is this such a topic of conversation all over the country? And like you said, I think it's because the people who push these conversations, you said at the at the root, it really is anti-God. I really do believe that because even even in ancient times, that's a society that was that was degrading would would start to kill their children. I think nothing's really changed now. It's just that we've made it such a, a justice issue, and we paint this as oh, men, a man's way to control a woman's body. Which Roe v. Wade was decided by a bunch of men, so I don't know what that comes from. But then also, like a bigger percentage of women are pro life and active about it than men are. Like women really do lead this fight. Um, I really I rarely post on my own accord. I usually just share from other women, African women, women in this country who are extremely, most of Africa, I mean, 
is the vast majority of Africans are pro-life, yet there's, there are foreign countries like ours and others that try to kind of push this Western way of thinking about children. It's foreign to them because it's not about, a, it's not a man and woman thing. It's really just a life, it's a life death thing. And I think the more that we drift away from morality, like the more we drift away from God, the more we, we have to replace it with something. We have this need as humans to put something in its place. I always um, say that about politics and how yeah. sometimes on J-Swipe, because I'm, you know, on all the Jewish apps, because I'm yeah, yeah. a great guy, if you know anybody, they'll say things like, I'm not that religious, but mm-hmm. swipe left if you're not a Democrat. Your politics <laughs> literally took over your value yeah. system. And uh, one of my friends, Moshe, we were talking, some people, their religion becomes something. And usually right now it's like politics. Some of the people who are the most grounded or the most um, entrenched in their politics if they were to ever become religious they would they would probably become like orthodox like because he said it's because they it's their they have this deep desire for religion it's just that they gravitated to or they chose this thing but he was like i think that people are deeply religious and that for some people if they were to actually begin to embrace torah they would embrace it just as much as they were embracing you know, all the other stuff. What do you think about what happened with Nick Cannon a couple of years ago and Farrakhan and Reverend? Yeah. Like when you put those three people together and if you're not sure who Nick Cannon is uh, or you're listening and you're like, what does Nick Cannon, the rapper, have to do with Louis Farrakhan? Yeah. Also Reverend Wright. I, I would love for you to just speak to those three people in yeah. the, and how they're, I, I feel that they have a warped sense of, what is going on with Israel and also the Jewish people. But I'd love to hear what you would say to them if you could have Shabbos dinner with them. Yeah, absolutely. So if I were to have, if I were to have Shabbos dinner with Nick Cannon, especially Nick, I think I'll start with him because that's the the easiest because he had one of Farrakhan's acolytes on his show, Riza Islam, who's becoming the next Farrakhan, unfortunately. Young guy, very outspoken, very charismatic. Every once in a while, he'll say something unrelated to Jews or anything. I kind of agree with, but then I'm like, I can't ever share anything you say because you're such, you're such a Jew hate. Like, warped. I mean, ahistorical. He said a lot of things that are just completely untrue. And Nick had him on his show and he had someone else on his show where he was talking about Jews and, and white people and them being less than human and, and closer to animal. And he also said anti-Semitism is only anti-Blackism and it, yeah. they hijacked our yeah. term. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, can't we? Yeah. Share the pain? Right. Why is it? Yeah. Did the Holocaust happen in vain? Like, come on. What do you call that instead? Sometimes when we study something and we discover something, our first thing is to say, oh, they, someone hid this from me. It's like, well, how did you find it? You went to a library or are you, okay, who's hiding it? Like, you just didn't know it was there. You know, who's hiding it from you? Did you have to go on this quest to find? No, you, you typed in some stuff on Google and you found some PDFs and you read, I mean, that's, no one was hiding, but. And Nick Cannon, after all that, um, he was suspended from his show for a little bit. He issued an apology, which I was like, okay, we'll we'll see where this goes. Because, you know, people issue apologies all the time. Then he had, first he had a rabbi on his show. And then he actually invited Barry Weiss to a show. And she talked about her book to him. And so I don't, I still don't know where his views are on, because he also talked about white people in this way. And he never really went back and addressed that, but he, after having Barry Weiss on his show, he promoted a book quite a bit. He read it. He told her it really changed his her perspective on a lot of things. Um, so if I were to sit down with him, I think I would just, I, I think I would still challenge him a little bit on the other stuff that he said. Um, but I would tell him like, I, I would tell him that I appreciate that he's not, he's not a grifter. So there's some people that I believe don't really believe the views that they espouse, but they do it to serve a purpose. He seems to me like an honest thinker in that if someone were to confront him, he'd be like, oh, wow, maybe I was wrong. There was a Black Panther. Um, he was a minister of, fine, of information. His name was Eldridge Cleaver. He was very anti-Zion. I mean, he wrote a book called Soul on Ice, very anti-America, all this. But he was an honest thinker in that he was so pro-Arab and anti-Israel that he decided, because he was running away from the law, essentially, but he spent several years in Algiers, uh, in the Arab countries. And he came back to the States and he was like, uh, he was disgusted by what he saw. He saw slavery, black Africans who were being enslaved. He saw how they were being treated. 
he said that the treatment of black people in those countries were worse than how we're treated in America. And this was during the 60s, right? So this is like people being hosed and, and lynched and all that stuff. And he was saying, no, it's worse over there. And he became a staunch Zionist, completely his, all his views kind of turned upside down. And he, for the remainder of his life, he was advocating for like America as, as a country, right? Like all the good things that it has for Israel and for a good relationship and against terrorism. I, would, I put him in that category of he might've been way, way, way off at one point, but he was so committed to what he believed that he didn't, he wasn't afraid to challenge it. And when, and when it didn't hold up, he changed. I would encourage Nick to continue having people on his show that aren't just people who agree with him um, or these, these, you know, he had these stupid gurus. That, he had these random guys on his show who would espouse all this stuff. But then he, when he was challenged, he brought on Barry Weiss and she like, she actually broke down a lot of different things for him. And I would, I would, I would challenge him to keep doing that um, because he actually, I think could be as, as vocal as he is, he could be a force for good, a ton of black followers. And he actually could, could give them information that they otherwise would gotten. And when he did have her on his show and when he did apologize, um, the vitriol that he got on Twitter from people in his own camp. And I, I applauded him for not backing down from that. Cause I was, I was looking at his Twitter. It was like, I, I couldn't find a positive comment. His followers were so mad at him and he was like, okay, but if you can show me where she was lying, you know, then I'll look at that. But if you're just telling me I'm a, I'm a coon and a sellout and a monkey for then, I'll take the insults, but what I was doing wasn't right. I do applaud him for that. I hope he continues in that direction. When it comes to Farrakhan and Jeremiah Wright, because they're both, I think Reverend Jeremiah Wright is like the, he's the Christian version of Farrakhan, really. And that's really the only difference that they have played such a pivotal role in disseminating disinformation to the black community and hatred, preaching it from their pulpits. So unlike Nick Cannon, I would say, I don't know if they really believe this or if they are just grifting, right? If they are playing a role. There's a book called Disinformation written by a defected KGB agent. He only died recently, he died on Valentine's Day this year. He was a high, the highest ranking KGB official to defect to the US. And he talks about this, he wrote a lot of books, but this specific book is like a book to America, especially it's about how Russia's disinformation campaigns targeted America, targeted American racial politics. He quotes Reverend Jeremiah Wright in his book. He talks about how the Soviets, and it's not just the Soviets anymore, but the Soviets were, were smart in that instead of trying to crush religion, which is what communist countries would usually try to do is like weed out the Christians, they just would infiltrate these religious spaces with their ideology and try to like weave it in with the Bible, weave it in with Torah. And he said they've been largely successful. So you have, Jeremiah Wright isn't the only you know, a minister that, that speaks out like this. But he and Farrakhan are the most prominent. They tend to touch and agree the most on, on the Jews. And Jeremiah Wright, not as blatant. He has said some stuff. But obviously Farrakhan, way more blatant when it comes to that. He has a, a long track record. Fortunately, it's one of the things that we, we fight against. You know, Ipsy's not a Christian organization, but my dad's a pastor. You know, I grew up in church. I'm a, I'm a worship leader, a music minister. The only way you can combat this nonsense, one of the ways I should say, is teaching the scriptures that they know in the right, in the proper context, in the right way. Because often a lot of these kids are the fact that people who hate Israel and people who hate Jews and people who have their own agendas will exploit the fact that a lot of us grew up in church. There are scriptures that we've never seen before, that we were never taught, that we didn't even know existed. And people will come and show us these scriptures and say, see this, look at Deuteronomy, it talks about being carted off and back to Egypt as slaves, they're talking about us in the land of slave trade. Therefore, we are the only true Jews because um, Black people in America, that's, you know, we came from slavery. Oh, so the Hebrews, you're talking about the, the Hebrews. Israelites. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and and then Nation of Islam has similar, they, they, they take certain scriptures. Yeah, they twist them. And, and the reason why it's so powerful is because a lot of us never seen those scriptures. I remember when I first read that passage in college in Deuteronomy, and I was like, wow, um, and I did wonder if, you know, I wondered if it was a metaphor because I was like, you know, there, there was the transatlantic slave trade. And, but it, imagine, I think, if I didn't have, there were so many times in my life where if I didn't have my father, I really would have been swept up in all the nonsense. I really would have been because... Well, just looking at the historical context of where it came from, there's no yeah. way it could have been Christians from America because it was 3,500 yeah. years old. So right. Right. <laughs> it's just basic history. It's exactly. not that hard to do, but exactly. most people don't want to look. And at the same time, the Kabbalist in me 
does see it as everybody's yeah. text, right. does see right. it as Jonah and the whale is yeah. talking about all of us, not just right. the Jews. It's every, right. You can't run from God. Right. You can try, right. but right. you know, you just right. can't. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I, it's sad because I once heard a great idea from one of my rabbis in Israel also when it's Sheker and MS, when there's mm. a little bit of lie mixed with mm-hmm. the truth, which is exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the worst kind of lie. It's the worst. It's because the worst. You, you're taking something so pure yeah. and you're adding, you know, food coloring number seven on it. Right, right. And it's a Jolly Rancher. No, 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 this is real strawberry. It's like, right. Hmm. It's really sweet. And I'm now it's I have right. a sugar high, but I'm going to crash. Whereas right. if I ate a real right. strawberry, it was just a strawberry. I'd that be like, it would help my body. Problem. What's one. I know I could talk to you for hours. You're so <laughs> no, thoughtful great. and kind yeah. and conscientious. And I, I love those qualities in one person, two things. What yeah. would you say to the people who are running the black lives matter movement? How beautiful would it be? Cause I've never seen this yet to have a prayer service for black lives matter. It's interesting that you asked that, that how powerful would it be to have a prayer service or have something devoid of the lies? I see the Black Lives Matter movement, see things like the 1619 Project as the counterfeit. So I, as a Christian, I believe that God still moves and he still, he has a plan. He's still, he's still doing stuff. And he has a calling on Black Americans. He has a calling on, on Black Africans, you know, for, for, for a purpose that we have this um, my friend Charles Jacobs said, he said it like this. He said, I, he's a Jew, but he said, I believe that Black Americans have this holy power that comes from their suffering, you know, their, their history of all the stuff they went through, that they have this authority. And it's for something. It's like Joseph was, was sold into slavery. It was for a reason, right? Like he wound up reading his brothers and saving his whole family during the famine. Like that there's a reason that we're here. And as you mentioned Kabbalah too, so as, as someone who also like is, is like aware of the spiritual is that whenever God has like a movement, there's this counterfeit, you know, from the opposing side. I believe that Black Lives Matter is the counterfeit in that it does sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it does touch on issues that that have truth to them, right? They sometimes speak some truth, some things. The, the counterfeit part of it is that one, a lot of the things I speak to don't reflect what we want as a black community. But then two, it has a different agenda. It, it you know, it, it their, their, their conclusions are not, they're not anything. They're not, you know, their conclusions are destruction, ultimate, more division. If I had an audience with the leaders and we, we, we talk, I mean, I, I, first of all, I don't know how that would go, but I would tell them, I think, first of all, to your people, stop swindling, or, uh, stop allowing yourselves to be used by your, your need for money. Really what it is, the founders are, after all this drama about where the money is going, like they, they raised $90 million last year, she bought her fourth house and they resigned. So that's sketchy. Like you're kind of leaving us in, in shambles in a lot of ways. But then what's going to be like required of you after you die. Really, if you believe in, in a greater power, do you think that you're going to be all right after after this life? Destroying so many lives. All the soup cans thrown at people's heads. It's a lot of all violence. All the violence, all the all the things that they, all the destruction of properties. I mean, all the, when, when the riots happen, a lot of Black businesses, Black programs, um, decades long programs that these pastors would run completely destroyed. I mean, uh, cities and cities that were already struggling with violence are, that are worse now than ever before. I mean, a lot of this stuff, you know, at first it was something I just didn't agree with, but Black Lives Matter, the organization's leaders, they have, they have blood on their hands. Like this is, a lot of this is because of their rhetoric and their lack of, of actual concern for the people is really what we're doing at Ipsy is, is I think it's like you talk about the Jolly Rancher thing. It's one thing to talk about why it's not, the Jolly Rancher is not real, Right. It's not real strawberries, but it's another thing to actually show them a strawberry and say, no, this, try this instead. This is the real thing. Like you'll, you'll love it. A lot of energy has been spent discounting the Jolly Rancher, which is good, but then there's no alternative. So like, Hey, well, I'm still going to eat this because you're not really telling me, you're just telling me that it's bad, but you're not showing me anything. And so there is a movement, I think, uh, a call on black people to, for, like, for instance, be a voice to end slavery in Africa and a lot of the, and a lot of the Arab states actually speak up for those people who are still enslaved. Now, stuff gets muddied and covered up when we when we get caught up in grievance politics. Which one of our friends have ancestors who were slave owners? And things, okay, but there are people who are slaves now. We're, yeah, we'll have our issues and stuff, but we live in a country where we can move forward. James Weldon Johnson wrote a song that's now called the Black National Anthem. It was, he, he named it 
lift every voice and sing. And the song, um, uh, the last verse is, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has thought us, bought, brought us thus far on the way, keep us forever in thy path, we pray. Lest our feet stray from the places, O God, where we met thee, lest our hearts drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. So he wrote this in 1899. But the, the whole song, the three verses in it, are, is, a, is a warning to us, not even just a, just a couple of decades after the Civil War, right? To not forget the God who brought us out of slavery. Let it right? Like that was kind of like how Moses was telling the children of Israel, like what God was telling the children of Israel when you plant vineyards or you you enjoy vineyards that you didn't plant and live in houses that you didn't build. It was that same thing of, okay, we're, we're doing great. I mean, things were already happening. Black people were moving forward in a huge way, but he wrote this song warning us to remember God. Don't, to, don't forget God. Um, and I think what we're seeing right now, Black Lives Matter is a manifestation of a people who have forgotten God, you know, but we, but we do recognize this need for something. And so we gravitate to these things that aren't good for us. Um, so would you replace the Black Lives Matter movement if, if you could with mm-hmm. let's all go to church together or let's all just no matter what your religion is, if you mm-hmm. happen to be a black American, mm-hmm. sit with me and pray? Is that what you would? I would. I would. I would replace it with. So there's there's the spiritual part of it, prayer, worshiping together. And then I think actually after that, because that, that always has to be first, but then having an, a dis, an honest discussion about what the problems are that we face, not based on what people above tell us, but like based on what we are seeing, you know, ourselves. Because I can tell you right now, the stuff that Black Lives Matter elevate, the vast majority of Black people don't even see that as our biggest problem or at all, you know, and and, um, what are these problems? And then- It also changes depending on what city you're in. That's why national law doesn't always work. And I get so cringy when people are like, it's gotta come from Washington. I'm like, no, it can't. No, right. Because there are different people in Alabama than there are in California. Right, And you can't tell me from a national level what everybody wants to do. Exactly. It has to be community-based and you're right. And- most, I believe that Chicago's most problems, problems are so different than Miami's problems. Exactly. Even in the same state, Oakland and Compton, and two different sets of issues. We already have the answers to most problems. It's just that politics gets in the way, it gets kind of thrown on like a football. But most of these problems, if we actually sit down and talk, we can say, okay, this actually would largely work for us and we could eradicate this. Um, and so I think that kind of discussion would need to be had after acknowledge that there is, that God is there and he exists. And that there there is a purpose for us being here. I would I would facilitate the music. I would sing and play and Me too. And, uh, yeah. Can you um, imagine everybody singing, you are gold? Exactly. We're gonna solve the world's problems, but first. But first. But you right. can go aside just for right. a moment. Right. And just look into the person next to you's eyes, right. even though you voted for somebody different and say you right. are gold. Right. You're a right. miracle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll be yeah. there. Who's your biggest forgiveness story? So I thought about this for a long time, marriage to my wife. Forgiveness is like a constant part of our marriage. You're gonna hurt each other. You're the closest, you're gonna hurt each other. And so so we, we've been married almost four years. We were in a place where, and she shares this all the time. So I'm gonna share this with you. So my wife was married once before me. Her ex-husband was abusive, um, emotionally, psychologically. He cheated on her with so many other women. And that marriage ended, I think, 2014. We met 2015, we got married at the end of 2017. Our first real, I think, argument was we were talking about something and, and I had expressed whatever I said, it triggered her. She got really upset. She responded in a way that I felt was was like really overreacting because I didn't know what I had said or done. And so then what happened was we both just started escalating. So I started saying stuff back to her and then we were going back and forth and um, we like cut off the, the argument. Okay, let's just stop. And so we were just mad and went outside. I went for a walk, came back in and, and I was fuming and Sometimes when you're in that place, it's hard to 
pray or center yourself. But I was like, okay, let me, I want to resolve this. Like I, I feel I'm angry and all this stuff. I don't know what's going on. I was praying and I promise you in that moment, I just got a quick glimpse of her ex-husband. I remember I came up to her, she was sitting on the couch. I walked up to her and I said, has your ex-husband ever said to you what I had said to you? And she said, yes. I said, okay, when he said, how did he mean it? She's like, well, he meant it like he was trying to cut me down. He was hurting me. And that's it. That was really it. First, before I came to her, I had to forgive her like in my heart before coming to her because I didn't want to argue anymore. So I said, okay, even if this doesn't get resolved, I need to let this go because I know that she's not trying to hurt me. Let it go. And then that's when I got the clarity that, well, she didn't mean to do that. This, this oh, is her context. Yeah. Yeah. Then she says, I apologize. I, I realized that I, I went way over what you said. And I think that that was such for me, for both of us, it was such a genuine moment of forgiveness because I first had to choose to do it even before I understood what was going on. That's important too, is that even if you don't fully understand why that was happening to you, it's so powerful to get to a place of, okay, no matter what it is, I'm going to forgive. And I think sometimes understanding is on the other side of that, not clouded anymore. And that's a constant thing. It's a daily thing, even the little tiny things to, to just choose to let it go. Sounds like you have unconditional love, which is so rare. Mm. But, yeah, but you also have God thing. in your lives. So that helps when God's in the room, not just about the two of you. You can fall on someone bigger than yourself and say, help me out. <laughs> totally. Again, it's only been a short time, but I don't, I don't know where we would be in our, in our marriage if we both didn't have God to fall back on. Two kids already? Group. We have two kids. Yeah. Yeah, two fun. children, two boys. I'm so glad that you, there's more of you in the world. Before we wrap up, please tell us how we can get a hold of you, how we can support mm-hmm. you in your efforts, what's something that you would wish everybody did every day mm-hmm. to make the world a better place. You can get a hold of me on all social media is Josh Wash Ipsy, so Josh Wash I-B-S-I, everywhere. And then I have another music page. Joe Davi Music, J-O-D-A-V-I Music. You can find me anywhere on there as well. Keep in touch with me. Music and advocacy have been melding more. So you go to a show, you might actually get some other stuff. And if you go to a, a talk, you might actually get some music. I know it sounds cliche, but it really does start with the choices you make for yourself. So do not be afraid to speak, even if what you're saying is completely different to everybody else. If you're wrong, then then be wrong and, and change. I mean, speak out because even if you're not right, you want to know that. Don't be afraid to speak or be who you are. That's the way you can grow the most. You'll know what's okay, what's not okay. I don't care how many people are not speaking about something. If you feel there's something in your heart that's not getting attention, you're called to, to stand up and speak out, then do it. Do it your whole heart. You're going to look weird. You're going to be strange. But I think we're supposed to be strange people. That's what makes people question and maybe look to something higher than themselves. They look at someone else and they don't understand why they have peace and why they joy and 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 doesn't seem like it's attached to anything you know that's what actually gets people thinking about their own lives um so be who you are don't be afraid don't be afraid to speak beautiful responsibility that the media has that's the role it plays unfortunately sometimes people are so conditioned that we can two of us can look at the exact same thing and someone see something opposite it's so funny you bring that up i want to end with this because i don't know if you've seen dr zach bush have you heard of him i don't think so so it's completely unrelated and yet some somewhat related to what we've been talking about, but it's not directly. So this is the guy, his video went viral. He is a doctor who deals with palliative care. And Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, I want to say it was like the beginning of 2020, made a a statement about Mm -hmm. his findings, putting people to death. Like he he's in euthanasia and and things. And he looked like, like the very first interview I saw of him, it's very powerful. I'll send it to Mm -hmm. you after. You can look yeah, at yeah. Um, He's he's really talking about the afterlife, and he's saying how he he's a super environmentalist. He's like, we're killing the planet, and, but yeah, there yeah. is an upshot to what he's saying, which is he says we are all so lonely because we are choosing to constantly complain and see everything like this mm-hmm. and look at all the negativity. He's like, mm-hmm. everyone that he had this night where he worked a thirty six hour shift. Oof. And he is his, and his team brought back three people to life. And all wow. three people in a row said the following words when they first came back. Mm. Why did you bring me back? One of the reasons he brings is because it was so peaceful there. They don't want to come back to this right. lifetime. But some of them felt like, I don't deserve to be here. It's a very negative speech. But the spin that I want to take on it mm. is all I wanted to do is like reach through YouTube and shake him and be like, L'chaim! like you said, yeah. you know. Jews don't worship death. We don't. We say l'chaim. Right, right. When we drink, right? Yeah, right. Even a glass of water. 
Right. Like right. we are all for life. Even when people mm. are dying in the streets, we are not supposed to, even if it's our enemy, we're not supposed to cheer during right. Passover. We take wine out of our cups to cry for the Egyptians that were mm-hmm. so cruel to us right. and they died right. and we're supposed to not be happy about it. That's right. why it's so interesting watching the nine 11 videos. When you see like the Afghanistan yeah. being like, Whoa, they it's died. Happy you know? celebrating. Yeah. Yeah. We never, we never celebrate when someone, mm-hmm. even if our enemy dies, mm-hmm. but my thought is it's such a great finding such a great discovery that he, he said, you know, pay attention to your life. Look Mm. into the eyes of everyone around you. He says, Mm. and instead of saying you voted this way, I hate you. And I'm going to continue to fight and be Mm. angry. Why not see the beauty and the miraculous in each person that you're around? Because we don't have much. I get that we are using way too much plastic and there's a lot wrong with how we live. I get it. But I'm yeah. also like, let's get everyone to keep Shabbat one day a right. week. You right, right. Carbon footprint we'd make by not right. being on totally. our phone for yeah. one day. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think God gives us all the solution. Yeah. In in the problem. Yeah. But it, yeah. you can easily get depressed by what's going on right now, or you could say, oh, we've been home for a year and a half. Right. You know, I wrote a book called "And Then One Day the World Cop" during mm. COVID because. My first week, I was really depressed sitting in my tiny yeah. apartment in New York City and being told oh. I can't go out. And I was like, all right, right God, right. what do you want me to do with this? And I wrote a book. And it's mm. it's wow. 41 pages of all the yeah. beauty that came out right. of COVID. Right. Right. And mm. I wish that everyone would write their own version of the beauty that came out of COVID because I know right. you have one in you. God bless you. I hope this is the first of many conversations. Absolutely. I and, feel and I want so to let you know, to too, know that you. I'm praying for your dad. You know, my heart goes out to him and, and to you and, and the whole family. And as we always do, here are some truth nuggets from our guest from today. Never be afraid to speak up and speak out, especially if it's a new opinion or something you're not hearing enough of. Be yourself and be proud of yourself for being different while we still can. Look up Eldridge Cleaver, the Black Panther, former anti-Zionist who became pro-Israel and pro-America and anti-terrorist. This guy's story is fascinating. Also pick up a copy of the book, Disinformation. This was written by two people. One was a defective and most highest ranking KGB officer, Yon Miha Chiba, is referenced in the podcast today. Also support IBSI. Go to ibsi-now.org, ibsi-now.org, and check out Joshua Washington on all your social media platforms. As he mentioned on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at... Josh Wash Ibsi, J-O-S-H-W-A-S-H-I-B-S-I. Thank you so much for joining us today and go out and hug somebody. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always.